Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. Once upon a time, there were two old men who lived in a small hamlet on the side of the river. Opposite the river was a bigger town where they used to go every Saturday night to the drinking spot to drink with their friends. One fateful day, they crossed the river and tied up their canoe at the mango tree. Then they trekked to the drinking spot and began drinking. One thing led to another, and the two old men stayed late into the night and got very, very drunk. When it was time for them to get in the canoe and cross the river to go back home to their hamlet, they got in the boat and picked up their paddles and began paddling. But as they were paddling, the time began to go far, and it seemed as if they weren't making any progress to cross the river. So the one in back began to complain to the one in front, you're not doing your part, you're not paddling hard enough. And the one in front said, no, I'm paddling, it's you that's not doing your part. Well, before they knew what had happened, hours had passed and they were still in their canoe. The trip that used to take five or ten minutes had stretched out long into the night. They didn't know what was happening. Their river had become like a mighty ocean. They seemed to be making no progress and they weren't reaching their destination. Eventually, the light of the sun began to creep up over the horizon. And when they looked around, they were shocked to find that they were still in the village where they'd gone to drink the night before. They'd been rowing and working all night, but they'd made no progress. Hey, what has happened to us? They began to shout. Just then, a young boy had come to the river to wash. And when he heard them crying, he rushed to find out what was wrong. But as soon as he looked the situation over, he started laughing. The old men became angry with him. Why are you laughing at us? But all the young boy could do in his fit of laughter was to point to the back of the canoe. When the two men turned around to look, they saw that the rope that had tied them to the mango tree was still holding them to the mango tree. No matter how hard they tried, no matter how hard they rode and paddled, no matter how long they took, they could not make progress because they were still tied to the shore. And I say to you today, it's time for you to cut the rope that ties you down. It's time to launch out into the deep with Jesus. It's time to be free to sail into your destiny. It's time to arise and answer his call that you might take your place as his chosen vessel. It's time for you to be relentless for revival. For God is calling us all today to move forward in him. He's calling us to advance his kingdom and fulfill his purposes. He's calling us to new realms of spiritual impact. But many of us are not making the progress we desire because there's still something holding us back. And in order to fulfill your purpose in life, you have to sever the shackles that keep you stuck. You have to cut the rope that holds you to the shore. You have to be experienced in revival in order to be Relentless. See, when revival comes, it shakes us loose from the shackles of sin and sets us free. Revival cleanses us and liberates us so we can move forward in the purpose of God. Revival comes to sweep away the old and accelerate us into the new. That's the message God sent me to give you today. We're going to discover the truth about the greatest revival to ever occur in Israel and learn how we can experience true revival in our lives today. But before we learn more, let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today in the name of Jesus. We ask you to help us 
cut the rope that holds us back. We know you want us to launch into the deep. We know you want us to go further in your kingdom and to make progress in our spiritual life. But there's some things holding us back. There's something keeping us down. Today, I pray you'll reveal it to us. Convict our hearts and give us a hunger for revival. We submit to you now. We bind every voice of the devil that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit to come and liberate us and launch us and loose us into a new level of spiritual power and impact. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to take a moment, join your faith with mine. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Truth for Today. I'm so glad you've joined me as we conclude our sermon series, Relentless. I'm convinced that God is building relentless faith in us so that we can be relentless for his purpose in our lives. For I hear God's spirit speaking to me that this is his time for you to take the next step with him. This is his time for you to go further with Jesus and reach new heights for Christ. He's calling you to chase the lion into the pit and prevail. He's calling you to fulfill your purpose as you go deeper in faith and faithfulness to become fruitful. And that's why you need revival. You need revival to cut the chains that bind you so that you can move forward and experience the fullness of God's purpose for your life. So today, we're going to discover the three steps to revival that every one of us can take. And to help us learn the truth, we prepared sermon notes. You can download the sermon notes and the daily devotional for free from my website and social media pages. I invite you to get out your notes now and follow along with me. Our guide to revival today is a man named King Josiah. His story is found in 2 Chronicles 34. Now, receive the word of the Lord. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from doing what was right. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek God. Then in the twelfth year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. So Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord. Then listen to how his story continues in 2 Kings 23, 25 with these words. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may not be familiar with King Josiah, but he was one of the greatest kings to ever rule over God's people. He brought the greatest revival ever to the nation of Israel. And in his story, we find the three steps to our own revival. And here's your first step today. Seek the Lord. Everybody say, seek the Lord. Listen again to 2 Chronicles 34.3. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, 
Josiah began to seek God. So the Bible tells us that when he was just 16 years old, he began seeking the Lord. And in that simple fact, we can all be encouraged today. Because if Josiah could seek God at that young age, you can start seeking God today. See, the interesting thing about Josiah is that seeking the Lord was not a part of his life. He wasn't born seeking God. He had to start one day. And when you look at Josiah's life, there's nothing to indicate any advantage for him to experience revival. After all, Josiah didn't seek the Lord because he was a king. For many other kings before and after him refused to seek the Lord. And it's plain he did not seek the Lord because of maturity. He was only 16 years old when he started seeking God. And not only that, but it's obvious that Josiah did not seek the Lord because he had a great family. He did not come from a family that loved God. The Bible tells us his father, Ammon, was a really wicked man. Josiah came from a bad family that had a history of idolatry and witchcraft. And not only that, but Josiah didn't seek the Lord because of his environment. In fact, the entire nation of Israel was backslidden. He was raised in a bad environment, surrounded by evil priests, unfaithful people, and a society soaked in sin. Yet something stirred in him, and he made the decision to seek God. And may something stir in your heart today. For if Josiah could seek God and see revival, you can too. For God is no respecter of persons. That's what the Bible says in Acts 10, 34 to 35. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In other words, anyone can seek the Lord. Anyone can experience revival. You may be poor. You may be young. You may be from a wicked family filled with bad people who do bad things. You may be surrounded by evil people, but none of that can stop you from seeking God. For God is no respecter of persons. If you will get up today and seek God today, you can see revival in your life today. Your entire hostel may be filled with fornication. Your whole office may be filled with corruption. Your extended family may be filled with witchcraft. The entire community you live in may be living in sin. Everywhere you look, there may be corruption and hypocrisy. But but you can break the cycle. You can break free and bring revival. You can seek the Lord. Let God's Spirit stir you up today. For if we're honest, we have to admit that we're all living in a day just like Josiah's day. In Josiah's day, the priests who were supposed to serve God were actually practicing witchcraft in the temple. Hey! People pretended to worship Jehovah, but they lived in rebellion to his word. And in the same way, we live in a time when the church is filled with sin. Fake pastors and false prophets are on every street corner using charismatic witchcraft to get your money. We live in a generation that pretends to worship Jesus but practices witchcraft. Some time ago, I was heartbroken to read the news item about a so-called pasta in my community named David Daniel. This fake man of greed went to the market and saw a woman selling at her shop. He stopped and told her, I've seen a revelation about you. He claimed to see that she needed spiritual cleansing. 
or she would face problems in her future. He told her to give him money, and then he told her to take him to her house where he could cleanse her. Well, unfortunately, this woman didn't watch my broadcast. She was easily deceived by the deceiver. So she gave David Daniel money, and she took him to her home. And it was there, while this fake pastor was claiming to deliver her, he sexually assaulted her. Sadly, this is not an isolated incident. All over the world, people have gotten used to sin in the church. It doesn't even surprise us any longer when we hear about fake pastors and false prophets performing perverted acts in the name of God. And the result of the backslidden nature of the church is that the world around us is growing worse and worse. In fact, corruption in our nation is a reflection of the corruption in the church. See, here's what we all need to acknowledge today. Our problems do not come from what's happening at government house. Our problems come from what's happening in God's house. We do not need a coup in government. God forbid. What we need is a coup in our hearts. We need a coup to overthrow the sin in our lives. We need a coup that will dethrone self and put Jesus on the throne of our lives. For our nation won't change until the people of God change. You can't complain about corruption in the government when you run your business with the same level of dishonesty. You complain about politicians stealing money, but you're stealing money. You can't complain about civil servants who don't do their jobs when you don't do yours. And the church must lead the way. That's why God says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. So it's up to us. God's people to repent and start living holy lives. It's up to us to humble ourselves and pray and seek the Lord. And God promises that if we, the people of God, seek him, we will find him. For 2 Chronicles 15, 2 says, The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. If you'll seek God right now, God will hear you. God will answer you. He will be with you and deliver you. There is nothing stopping you right now from starting to seek the Lord. And if you'll start to seek the Lord today, your life will start seeing revival today. If you'll seek God like Josiah did, you will have revival like Josiah did. See, revival is not a series of meetings where you invite a guest speaker and print posters. Uh, revival is not a one-week program at a church building. Revival is spiritual renewal that changes lives and changes nations. Revival brings an end to sin and the birth of holiness. Revival causes ordinary men and women to be transformed uh, into holy saints who serve God supernaturally. And that's why revival must begin by seeking God. For you can't seek God and remain the same. When you seek the Lord, you draw near to God. And whenever you draw near to God, you must change. Seeking God brings revival because it brings us closer to God. When we see him, we see our sin 
and repent. When we see him, we're changed to be like him. For 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, seeing the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. The fact is, when you begin to seek God, you begin to see God as he is. You'll begin to see yourself, and you'll begin to see the difference between the holiness of God and the sin in your heart. And that's the first step to getting cleaned up and free. Once, many years ago, when I was living in Nigeria on a Saturday night, I was preparing for Sunday morning church when the lights went off. I couldn't see well. I only had a kerosene lantern and a candle. So I pulled out my clothes for Sunday and I thought they looked fine. The shirt looked okay. I thought my suit was pressed. But in the morning when I got up and got dressed, I realized something. In the light of day where the light was shining bright, my shirt was dirty and my suit was wrinkled. That's why we need to seek God and get into his light of his presence. You can't clean up your life if you don't see your sin. In the darkness of this world, you may think, I look okay. Compared to others, you may think, I'm doing well. If you look at others, you'll think, hey, I'm not so bad. I'm better than Derek. I'm better than Ema, so I must be doing good. But when you seek God and get into his presence, you'll see your true nature. That's what happened to Josiah. He started seeking God, and he started to worship the Lord. He started reading the Word of God, and all of a sudden, his eyes were opened. He saw himself. He saw his people, and he said, Oh, my God, we're sinners. We're backslidden. We are in trouble with God. That's what happened to Job. In Job 42, 5 and 6, we read his testimony. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job had heard about God, but simply hearing about God did not change him. Simply knowing facts and information about God didn't move him to repentance. But when Job encountered God, when he saw God, he saw himself for who he really was. He saw himself in the light of God's glory and holiness, and he repented. The same thing happened to the prophet Isaiah. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 6.1 that the prophet encountered the very presence of God. He saw the Lord seated on the holy throne of heaven. Listen to him in verse 1. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And then in verse 5, he tells us the result of his vision of God. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Seeing God brought about the realization of the sinful condition of his life and that of his people. And the same thing will happen to you when you seek God. Today, we need men and women of God who will take time to come into his holy presence of a holy God and see themselves as God sees them. We need to enter into real worship that will bring down the glory of God's presence. Our problem in the church today is that we've made worship into entertainment. We've made our pastas into superstar celebrities. We treat the congregation like an audience and we gauge our success by the applause of the crowd. 
Shame on us. God has turned away from us. And the less we have of God, the more blind we are to our own sin. The reason so many of us don't even see the wickedness and corruption in our own lives is because God's manifest presence is not in us. The noise is not the same as the anointing. Without the presence of God in our lives, we think we're okay. That the life we're living is good enough to get to heaven. But I'm sure if the manifest presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, actually came into our midst, we would all fall on our faces before God, crying out for his mercy and repenting of our sins. This is why revival begins with seeking God. For whenever you turn to God, you must turn from sin. And seeking the face of God requires you to turn your back on sin. Drawing near to him results in drawing you away from the world. So you can't have both. You can't seek God and hold on to your sin. You can't make progress while you're tied to the shore. You can't have both. That's the lesson we can learn from the tragic but true story of the Horton family from New Zealand. On the night of Saturday, November 28, 2009, Vanessa Horton was driving the family's Mazda wagon with her son, Silva, in the back seat. Suddenly, and without any warning, the car slid off the road into the river and quickly began to sink. Fortunately, Mr. Stacy Horton was following in the second family car. He arrived on the scene just two minutes after the Mazda began to sink. Jumping out of his car, Mr. Horton dove into the river to rescue his wife, Vanessa, and his son, Silva. But in that moment, Stacy Horton knew he only had time to save one of his family members. He could rescue his wife, Vanessa, or he could leave her to drown and rescue his son, Silva. He couldn't save both. Reaching for one meant turning his back on the other. Allowing one to live meant leaving the other to die. Stacy Horton tried with all his might to save both his wife and his son, but it was impossible. So he rescued his wife, 13-year-old Silva, died. And that's how it is for us. I'm here to declare to you today that you can only save one. You can save your faith or you can save your sin, but you can't have both. You can't seek God and serve sin. You can't live for Christ and live for this world. You can't keep your sinful nature alive and keep your faith alive at the same time. So which do you choose to save? Your faith in Christ or your sinful life? You have to choose. For one or the other has to die. And God is calling you to seek him and turn from your sin. For Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. So the first step to revival is to seek the Lord. And that leads us to the second step to revival. Sanctify your life. Everybody say sanctify your life. The word sanctify simply means to cleanse or to purify. And the Bible gives us a clear picture of how Josiah sanctified the land. In 2 Chronicles 34.3 it says, Then 
in the 12th year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. So when Josiah started to seek the Lord, then he began to sanctify his life. He started destroying the pagan shrines and getting rid of the evil in the nation. But he didn't just do a surface cleaning. He didn't just clean the outside that people could see. When we go down to verse 33, we read this. Josiah removed all, somebody say all. Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. So the Bible tells us that he removed all the idols from the entire land and required everyone to worship the Lord. Every idol, every area, and everyone. It took him years to get the land sanctified. It took him all over the nation. He had to search out and find all the evil and corruption. He had to continually purge and purify and cut down Asherah poles. He was deliberate. He was intentional. He was thorough. He took the task of sanctifying the land seriously. And Josiah's efforts to cleanse Israel give us a picture of what God has called every one of us to do today as well. He calls us to go into every area of our lives, every thought, every attitude, every action, every word, to get rid of all sin and to make every area of our lives a place of worship to God. See, when God saves you, he begins the process of sanctifying your life. He washes away your sin. He forgives you and cleanses you. But that's just the beginning. God's desire for you throughout your life is to continually purify your heart and life. That's why 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. And some people think that's impossible. But in fact, that's the very reason why Jesus came to save us. Matthew 1, 21 says, And you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. So salvation is salvation from sin. And Jesus didn't come to save you halfway. He came to save you all the way out from sin. And I believe that what Jesus came to do, he is fully able to do. I believe that the power of Jesus is greater than the power of sin. And I know that my God is big enough and great enough to deliver me and to deliver you from every sin as we yield ourselves to him. But here's the problem. It's not up to God alone. You have a part to play. You have to align yourself with God. You have to sanctify your life. God is the one who cleanses you. God is the one who empowers you, but you have to act to remove your sin. That's why 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us, let us, everybody say us, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. Sanctification doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice. The problem is we become so used to sin, it doesn't even bother us again. We become so familiar with lying and stealing and cruel words, we've stopped trying to be holy. But tolerating sin has deadly consequences for the child of God. That's the lesson we learned from the disaster 
at Aberfan, a village in Wales, United Kingdom. Aberfan is a coal mining town. The people have worked in the coal mines for generations, and it was coal mining that sustained the people financially. But coal mining brought more than just jobs and money to the area. It also brought what the Welsh call spoil. Spoil is waste material that is brought up from the mines with the coal and then discarded on the ground as useless rubbish. Thus, the hills around Aberfan were dotted with mounds of spoil, coal dust and sludge and mud brought up from the mines and discarded once the coal was extracted from the ground. Now, normally, these mounds of spoil would be managed and maintained to prevent them from causing harm to the residents around the mines. But as time went by, the people of Aberfan grew used to the piles of spoil and began to tolerate them and then ignore them. The mounds of spoil grew taller and taller and eventually just became part of the landscape around the town. In fact, one mound of spoil that began in 1958 was left to grow and grow until it reached a height of 34 meters. Then, on October 21st, 1966, the mountain of spoil collapsed. Heavy rains had soaked the coal sludge with water, and at 9.15 a.m., the entire 34-meter-high mountain of spoil slid down the hillside and slammed into the village of Aberfan. It struck the junior school just as the students settled into their desks for class. 116 children and 28 adults were buried alive under the mountain of spoil. All of them died. The disaster at Aberfan was predictable. If you build a mountain of spoil, eventually it will collapse. The disaster at Aberfan was preventable. The mountain of spoil could have been removed. But the disaster at Aberfan happened because people began to accept something that should never have been allowed in their daily lives. They tolerated it, then they accepted it, then they ignored it, and in time, they suffered for it. And that's how it is with you and sin. The sin you tolerate today becomes the sin you accept tomorrow. And the sin you accept tomorrow becomes the sin you overlook. And the sin you overlook becomes the sin that buries you. For you see, sin piles up in our lives. You may live with it for a long time without any major consequences, but the day will come when the price must be paid. You may escape any known bad results for years, but one day the consequences will be seen. And the further you go into sin, the further you get from God. The deeper you go into sin, the deeper you go into bondage. And eventually the darkness piles up and you can't escape. That's why you have to turn now and repent. That's why you have to be ruthless to deal with any area that is keeping you from God. You have to cut the rope holding you back. You can't pretend it's not there in your life. You can't ignore it and hope it will go away. You know you have lust. You know you practice evil. You know you have bitterness in your heart. You have to deliberately and intentionally deal with that sin and sanctify your life. For the scripture says in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
And just as Josiah went everywhere to overturn idols, so you must search for the idols in your own life. You have to be aggressive to cleanse your life from sin and sanctify every part of your life. As the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 15, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Don't slip back. And that brings us to our third step to revival. Stay steadfast in surrender to God. The third step to revival is you've got to stay steadfast in your surrender. If you give up your sin and yield your life, you will have revival. Revival begins with seeking God. Revival grows stronger when you sanctify your life. And revival reaches full power when you stay steadfast in surrender to Jesus Christ. That's what happened with King Josiah. Listen to how his story ended in 2 Chronicles 34, 33. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. In other words, Josiah remained steadfast to the end. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. Repentance is not a one-time event. Repentance is a daily lifestyle. Revival is living in the presence of God, living in a continual state of seeking Him, sanctifying your life, and surrendering to Him. That's why Romans 6.13 tells us, give yourselves completely to God. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And in order to do that, you have to continually search your heart to keep out idols. You have to always guard your heart to keep them pure. All of us have to continually guard against the mountains of sin that will build up in our hearts. We have to continually offer ourselves to God in steadfast surrender. We have to continually keep Jesus on the throne of our hearts and refuse to allow any other ambition, any other goal, any other desire, or any other person or thing to enter in. For the truth is anything that means more to you than God has become an idol in your life. It may be something physical God asks you to surrender. It may be a sacrificial gift he asks you to give. It may be something you don't want to do. It may be someone you don't want to forgive. It may be something you don't want to obey. But if there's anything God tells you to do that you would say, no, that thing is an idol in your life. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. See, anything that you refuse to give to God has become an idol. Any area where you refuse to obey God has become an idol. Any act or gift or obedience that you withhold from God is an idol in your life. None of us have any right to say no to God for any reason at any time. For Jesus said in Luke 14, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And here's what that means in simple English. All that I am and all that I have belongs to God. That's why I call on you today to tear down the idols in your heart. 
I call on you to seek God with all your heart. I call on you to sanctify your life. Be deliberate. Be intentional. Be aggressive about getting rid of sin. And stay steadfast in surrender. Yield everything you have to Him every day. Be relentless for revival. And you will experience the glory, the power, and the presence of God in your life. Father, I pray today that you will help us, grip us with your truth. Open our eyes today. Give us a passion to seek you. Motivate us to sanctify our lives. Let us be ruthless, deliberate, aggressive, and intentional about tearing down every idol, about dealing with every sin, every lust, every thought, every lie, everything we've withheld from you. Give us today the courage and the grace to stay steadfast, that we will live lives of surrender, that we will be relentless for revival, so that we will see your glory come. In Jesus' name, amen. The hope of God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House, New Testament Church in East Lagon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 or 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience. We're here